I like the mayor of the city of Seattle. The uh, uh, being a political leader is uh, a most rewarding. I don't believe there could ever be a job that will be equal to being mayor of the city of Seattle. That's Norm Rice, and he was the mayor of Seattle, the 49th mayor of Seattle, and he served in that position from 1990 to 1997. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. I had a sponsor of my radio show in the 1990s. U.S. West was the sponsor, and together we sponsored a segment called Profiles of Experience. And Norm was one of the people that I had on the show shortly after he left the mayor's office. And uh, again, this interview was from 20 years ago. He projected some things into the future. What did Norm get right when he looked down that road and where Seattle would be right about now? I re-listened to it, and I think you'll find it very interesting as well. Uh, He was really responsible for a lot of great things that happened to Seattle and uh, the rejuvenation of downtown Seattle. I lived there in the 1990s. I moved there in the early 90s and moved back to West Seattle in the late 90s. But I saw the city of Seattle. It was kind of seedy when I first moved there to becoming a really nice downtown, which we're all now experiencing in many ways and has been built upon in many ways since that time. One thing that a lot of people don't remember about Norm, and the only reason I know that is because I had a brief conversation with Chuck Armstrong And he was the former president of the Seattle Mariners. And he said how instrumental that Norm was in helping keep the Mariners in Seattle in the mid-1990s when, of course, they were about ready to leave and move to Tampa Bay. But uh, again, Norm wasn't known for that, but he did a lot of the serious negotiation in behind the scenes or from behind the scenes. So anyhow, Norm will be coming up in uh, just a few moments. And so will our current mayor, Jenny Durkin. Mayor Durkin spoke to the Seattle Rotary Club last Wednesday. I compared a couple of issues they both addressed 20 years apart, and I'll comment on those after we hear from Mayor Durkin. Also, we have Ralph Morton, and he's the executive director of the Seattle Sports Commission. And uh, you may know that from the Sports Star of the Year. Every year, the Seattle PI honors a Sports Star of the Year. This year it happened to be Garner Minshew, a Cougar from Washington State, which I think is great. But, of course, I'm not biased. Having been a graduate of Washington State, they made the right choice. Anyhow, I think this is an organization that has much more influence on this area, not only in sports, but just how we live every day. And I really wanted to talk to Ralph about this because he's been involved with that and uh, find out more about what the commission really does. And again, he'll be up uh, in about 15 minutes or so to talk about that. I read their mission on their website, and it's to make Seattle world-class sports community. Let's find out how they're doing. Sandwiched in between my interviews will be a brief visit with Bill Maher again, and that's uh, from New Rules with Bill Maher, which airs on Friday nights on HBO. And uh, today we're going to be talking about technology, or he's going to, and I will comment on that. So, you're here uh, with Voices of Experience. Again, my name is Paul Casey. Back with my interview with Norm Rice in just a few moments. 
You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. Our guest this week on U.S. West Profiles of Experience is former Seattle Mayor Norm Rice. My first question, how did he become interested in public service? I think uh, public service has been uh, part of a way of life uh, in my family, uh, through my parents, uh, through my grandparents, and even through my school days. I've always been involved in student government, uh, active in the community, and uh, trying to solve public issues, president of my community club when I moved here. So it's always been a part. My grandmother was a minister. My mom and dad owned a restaurant and tavern, so they were always dealing with customer service and people. So people and places and community has always been an underpinning in my life, and it's been something that uh, I think I gradually took on. Mayor, what position did you find most rewarding? So far, I have to say that I like the mayor of the city of Seattle. The pol uh, being a political leader is uh, a most rewarding. I don't believe there could ever be a job that will be equal to being mayor of the city of Seattle. What is your fondest memory in government thus far? First of all, what I like the most are the people. Uh, the people of Seattle and the uh, employees of the city. Uh, to really meet people uh, in that role has been the most rewarding. But if you're talking about things of accomplishment, uh, clearly our education initiatives uh, to restore people's faith in public education in Seattle, the family and education levy that came out of that to make every child safe, healthy, and ready to learn, Re that levy was renewed last year. Uh, those are really rewarding because it's an investment in children. It's an investment in their ability to learn. It's been an investment to make the school district better, and uh, you can't find a more rewarding uh, aspect. I then asked the mayor, what was his greatest disappointment? I was disappointed. If you ask real disappointment, I was disappointed that we couldn't convince the voters that the Commons was a project that was uh, worth our, our, our being involved in. That, that hurt, not in, the, not in the abject failure sense, but here was an opportunity to create a new community. And, uh, but we, we were unable to convince the voters to support it, and that was a disappointment. What are the greatest challenges facing this region as we enter the next century? I still believe, uh, number one, education and uh, lifting the quality education, the test scores, and making sure that the investment in public education is consistent uh, and meeting challenges and is measurable for its success and, and that the system is uh, being held accountable for that success. Number two is transportation. Uh, getting a transportation system that allows people to have choices and gets people around faster and out of the car is important for the region. And if we don't uh, make that uh, leap, uh, we are going to be hurt with the congestion problems. And last but not least, I really think that the making sure that the gap between those who have and those who don't uh, doesn't widen. I really am very concerned with welfare reform, that not everybody uh, uh, is going to get their fair share of equality in this system, and that's important.
Now, I will play part of the speech from Seattle Mayor Durkin as she addressed the Rotary Club last week. Seattle has grown so fast. In the last five years, we've added almost 100,000 people to Seattle. And it is, as we know, that our land is limited. And as a result, our infrastructure wasn't ready. So our housing costs went up because we didn't have enough housing. Our transportation worsened. Our social service infrastructure wasn't ready, which is evidenced by the way we deliver our services and the number of people experiencing homelessness. And I think if you look at this, we really are this time in, in where Seattle's under enormous pressure to change. We know it's become a city that's almost unaffordable for most people. Um, our communities of color have been pushed out at a rapid amount. And that while business has boomed in March of Seattle and we are the envy of the nation, we've also seen as that prosperity has grown that is not shared by all. And so our goal has been in city government is how do we make sure that the Seattle of the future is that city we can all believe in? Because we have always been that city that innovates. We imagine what that future is and then we go invent it. And if you look at the small mom and pop companies that start here, you know, it's things like Starbucks and Microsoft and Costco and Amazon and you know, we've got a, a roster of companies that began here, I think because we are that city that innovates and plans for the future. And if we look at what that future looks like for Seattle, we want to ensure that this remains the kind of city where people want to live, they want to raise their families, and they feel welcome. And that every part of our city has the diversity that we can believe in. That in the future, those parts of our city that today, I, I think most of you notice Seattle's kind of under construction. Um, so let's build the city we want. Let's build a city that, so years from now, we've got that sound transit it is, and at every transit stop, it's a vibrant place like those great cities that we see across the world that have great plazas with restaurants and apartments and all kinds of housing, low income, medium, market rate, everyone there together. The people can get around the city without ever having to get in their cars. I mean, when I travel to other cities, I don't rent cars, you know? And people here, if you think about where you go to New York and all that, you, people need to be able to say, let's get out of our cars, let's walk, let's bike, let's live closer to where we can work. So we know that we have to add density. We know that that is a certainty where we are, but let's build it right and let's build it smart. We've got some amazing things underway. Um, that I think really will create this city as the next generation world-class city. Seattle, I'll give you two examples, the waterfront. I don't know if any of you saw yesterday, the Seattle Times had before and after pictures of about four blocks with the viaduct and with it gone, it looks like a different city. And if you haven't been down there, walk down there. The amount of light that now hits the street changes that whole neighborhood. And if you have a chance, go to the Pike Place Market <clears throat> at night, go to the back of the market at the Overlook, it's quiet. There's not the roar of the cars anymore and you see the city that's unfolding. We will have this connection between Seattle and Puget Sound in a way we never have. It's our heritage. Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin. As you listen to former Mayor Rice and Mayor Durkin, you can hear they both were and are concerned about transportation and for getting people out of their cars. They want downtown to be as congestion-free as possible, and they used getting out of their cars, both of them, to explain their positions on that issue. 
If you're not familiar with the term the commons, in which Mayor Rice addressed briefly, as his biggest disappointment, the commons was put up to the voters and they rejected it, and it was going to be a park that would anchor some mixed-use development down in South Lake Union. Well, we got the development, but not the park. Mayor Rice was concerned about the growing disparity between the haves and have-nots. That is the biggest and most difficult issue that Mayor Durkin has inherited, and she knows it. Omar, uh, you know I'm a big fan of his. Let me go right to it. On his new rules on last Friday night, he talked about technology. Get this, right into a problem with their new self-lacing sneakers. Yes, self-lacing for people who literally can't tie their shoes and chew gum at the same time. So instead of tying your shoes on your own, you know, like a loser, you simply put on your shoes, pull out your phone, find Wi-Fi, open the app, Enter your password, find the button that says tie shoes, close the app, return the phone to your pocket, and catch up with your friends who left 15 minutes ago. And that was Bill Maher, and he was talking about Nike shoes that are self-tied. That's right. I didn't know about this, but I guess you go to an app and you can tie your shoe, just what he said. And the lead-in to that essentially was that technology is great. There's so many wonderful things that are happening to it. But there are a lot of things that are going on right now that they're overdoing it. And uh, we should take time to really review. Do we all need these things? I had an issue. I'm not going to go into too great a detail. A couple of weeks ago in my car, um, you know, the tires needed air. But it's really a very complicated process now. And I had a blown out tire as a result of it. But I used to be able to put air in my tires all the time so easily. But now it's so cumbersome. And now I need to calibrate them and do so much more. So I don't know. I just think he raised good questions on that. If you want to see more about it, you can go to HBO or go to YouTube and you can see uh, new rules with Bill Maher last Friday night. It's worth the trip on that. So let's uh, now get to uh, Phil Graham. I took a little uh, snippet from him and let's hear what he has to say. Most startups that fail do it ultimately because they did not make something that people wanted. They made something that, um, you know, that they thought people would want, um, but they were either in denial about it, about, you know, whether it was actually any good um, or somebody else came along and made something that people wanted even more. (laughs) That's Paul Graham, and he is an English computer scientist and a venture capitalist. And one of his investments in startups is a company by the name of Y. Combinator, and it's just a new model for funding early stage startups. He said something that was very important, but it has to do with what I talk about a lot on this program, and that is if you're trying to develop the mindset of an entrepreneur, thinking like an entrepreneur is trying to fill a niche and solve a problem. 
And that's what Mr. Graham was trying to get across. We have Ralph Morton on the line, and he is the executive director of the Seattle Sports Commission. We met, oh, several months ago, and was very interested in, in talking about the Sports Commission. But, you know, I think a lot of people have heard little bits of the Sports Commission here and there, and I think probably the most visible event that you have is the Sports Star of the Year. Um, but there's so many other things that you do, and I wanted to just start out with that. What does the Seattle Sports Commission actually do. I saw in your mission statement is to make Seattle a world-class sports community. So what are you doing to do that? You know, primarily we look to bring major sports opportunities to the region, whether that's playing the primary role, a support role. But, you know, for example, we're bidding uh, right now in the World Cup. We're in the process of putting together a bid for an MLB All-Star game. You know, other major events that will come down the road. We've hosted NCAA championships. We've helped bring the Rock and Roll Marathon here, uh, AVP Pro Beach Volleyball, a Clipper Around the World Yacht Race. You know, we go out and try to bring events that have an impact on the community, both financial and culturally, inspiring kids, um, events and, and projects that simply make it better. Uh, this also can include venues, you know, whether we are serving a strong advocacy role for a new arena or, or another project that may be. Okay. So that gives an o- overview idea. And you're also, I'm sure, uh, you know, like you say, with venues and things, we have a new um, NHL team coming to Seattle, and that's so exciting. Like, what involvement do you have in that? You know, I think, you know, we we represent the community, and we feel like, you know, it was very important that uh, we have a viable arena that can be be there for many years to come. And being a world-class city, we really need a world-class arena, something that befits Seattle and the surrounding region. And so as excited as we are about the NHL, which is very exciting, uh, we also are just, we're, we're just extremely pleased to have a building that opens the door to host more major events, whether that's a NCAA championship that we couldn't host at Key Arena, um, an Olympic trials, or other events down the road. It just it opens so many opportunities for the community. So Key Arena will allow us to bring a lot more t- special events to Seattle. Yes, and whatever whatever we end up calling that arena will, you know. Oh, that's bring true. We're still events. calling it Key Arena, and it's uh, I don't anyhow. But you're yeah, right. I'm not really I'm not positive what to call it just yet. Uh, it's it's the Seattle the new arena at Seattle Center. Or, um, uh, we just we just want to call it something. We're, we're in, but we're patient as can be. We, we're just very excited that it's going to be there. Um, but it does open the door for a women's basketball final four, uh, an Olympic trials for figure skating, um, the hockey frozen four, which is a huge, huge event for the NCAA championships. Um, you know, we plan to be back, you know, we would be hosting a March madness men's basketball tournament. I think this past weekend, but, uh, with the building under construction, we are aggressively getting ready to bid. So, with the new arena, we'll be right back in the ball game, hopefully, for three to four years down the road for that event. So it's just there are so many opportunities that a premier venue provides. So we're excited about that. Yeah, and do you think uh, that we could get an NCAA 
Final Four men's to Seattle? Like we had them twice in the 1980s in the Kingdom. Is that possible in the whatever we name it, new arena? Yeah, and unfortunately, that is a completely different event now. It's um, I I think that may have been you know however many years ago if we hadn't imploded the Kingdom or done something completely different. Um, it's being played in indoor football stadiums now, and so they're seating seventy to seventy-five thousand okay. at the men's final four. So that one, that ship literally, I guess, has sailed on us. But uh, there's so many other opportunities that can happen. Okay, well, that's uh, fine too. You know, uh, one thing I was thinking about, and maybe you can comment on this, and that is, I see that today in the Seattle Times there's an X and FL team coming to Seattle. Sure. And um, it just came to mind. I didn't even know that until this morning. Basically, I saw it in the paper, and I consider myself a casual fan, obviously not a big fan because I didn't know that. Um, are you concerned that there may be sports saturation with the NHL coming and all these type of leagues, or we have a lot of room to grow in, in these type of sports? You know, I think as we, you know, the rate that we're growing, and we're not growing in just numbers, we're growing you know, on the economic side of things. You know, I, I think there is only so many uh, that can be added as far as major major franchises. And, and an XFL, you know, which is owned and operated by the WWE, is going to be Excuse a very me, what, different I'm, just product. Just one moment. What's the WWE? That's uh, World Wrestling. Got that's, it. Okay. That, and so essentially that's uh, Vince McMahon and, and company. And they, they are very good marketers. They put on a great show. Uh, we have Jim Zorn as the coach of the team. But it's not. It's going to be a completely different price point, you know. And so, you know, and that's it, competition. You know, it's like looking and saying, do we have too many hotels? Do we have too many restaurants? Do you have too many, et cetera? Um, you know, competition. You know, either we're going to have the demand for it, or it could be good for consumers because it could. You know, the franchises will have to compete uh, for the consumer. But I do see a growing market here. Um, we have more cranes than anywhere in the in the world, except for I think Dubai. Uh, wow! In so, the world, I knew it was the U.S., but I didn't know it was the world. I think really? we're number two wow. in the world. At least somebody told me that once, so I'll go with that. Sure, uh, why not? But it's the growth in the and it's again, it's not just sheer quantity of people. It's 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 the people who are moving here, and these are you know with good jobs and a lot of you know young people coming here who want to have that kind of lifestyle, and so. I think we saw it, and we saw the Sounders explode when they hit, they hit the scene, and they've been incredible and continue to be so. Um, NHL's going to be another another group of fans, and is it are they competing fans or are hockey fans different than soccer fans? That remains to be seen. But you know, we're not the same Seattle we were 20 years ago, and so I, you know, we have a lot more capacity for this than we did, you know, just even 10 years ago. How about the Olympics? Uh, we'll, we'll never host the Olympics. Okay. I mean, it's something that, you know, you know, you need a, a certain number of things, and right now we don't. You know, we score very high on a few things, such as weather. We'd be, out, be off the charts, but, you know, it would require a lot of new buildings to be built, and one of our biggest issues would be space. And if you look at some of the other places like L.A., They've got a lot of that infrastructure in place, and they have a lot of demand for that. So and if we came in and wanted to build uh, whatever that may be, it become a, you know, whether it's the athlete village, you know, a track and field stadium that will fit, you know, 
75,000 people in it. You know, where are those going to go? And so, you know, what you don't want to do is come in and create what amounts to a, you know, a big white bunch of white elephants that sit there like they did in China that never get used again, except on rare occasions. So I think, you know, it's not that it's, it couldn't, you know, at this point, it doesn't look like it would be something that could happen. I mean, things can change. You know, the, the event could change, uh, whether it's Winter Olympics or Summer Olympics. I mean, climate's change, you know, but it, it's something that right now, for example, Summer Olympics in, in the facilities would be pretty cost prohibitive. And, you know, it also would fall at a time when, you know, our tourism industry, our hotels are already beyond full. So, you, you lose some of that value of economic impact. Yeah, so we already have those venues pretty well full as it is. And whenever this has been discussed, uh, it just seems the city council has been lukewarm, and that's being generous. I mean, a lot of people just don't want it. Whenever it's brought up, it's kind of voted down. So I don't know. If it's well, you know, you, you look at the events, and you focus on what you can. And not, right. I mean, there are things, you know, every, if, it were, if all of them were easy, everybody would be doing them. I mean, but, you know, a World Cup, all-star games, a hockey all-star game, you know, potentially a Super Bowl one day, those are events that you put out there and you, and you shoot for. And, you know, sure. what, you know if, if there's a reason to look at it, and you never, and again, it, it's, it's not an event that, we'll, that we would spend time on. You know, if there was a, somebody who wanted to put up billions of dollars, that's another discussion. Um, but, you know, publicly, the other parts of it, I don't, I don't see us having the, the wherewithal to put together that project. Well, I'll go home tonight and talk to my wife and see if we want to put a couple billion up for this. It might be more, yeah, more about ten. <laughs> okay, we're out of it then. We so can't do you it. Might, Sorry, you might two billion. Check. That's it. I'm I'm out. Call the in laws. All right, call the in laws. Hey, well, Ralph, thank you very much for spending time with us today. I learned a lot more about what you're doing, and let's have coffee. I want to pursue this. Okay, that sounds great. Thanks. All right, thank you, Ralph. Yeah, bye. Okay, so that was Ralph Morton, and again, he is the executive director of the Seattle Sports Commission. So a lot of exciting things are happening now, and wow, what a stat that we have the second amount of cranes, we think, in the world up there in Seattle right now. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. Guess what? We are out of time. If you want to listen to any show from the last year, you can do that by just Googling KKNW. And then click on to archives. Then you come to the landing page for Voices of Experience. Click one more time in Voices of Experience, and you are there. And you can listen to any show for the last couple of years. I mean, I've had some great interviews, like today. Uh, I talked to Robert Siegel last year at the uh, Murrow uh, Communications Center when he visited Pullman. A lot of fun that I had with that interview. And, um, again, he was the host of All Things Considered at NPR for like 35 years. And uh, Mark Victor Hansen, who was an entrepreneur and wrote the book Chicken Soup for the Soul. Really interesting interview as well. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer, and we'll be back next Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. Then the show will be repeated on Friday at 1.30 p.m. Want to give me a call? My phone number is 206 206- 459-5536, 206-459-5536. Have a great rest of the week.